You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It is December 30th. This is the last episode of year 47, Anno Satanus, or uh, 2012. Last one. This is it. I bet you thought eh, the Christmas special was going to be it, and you were wrong. That's right. You were wrong. But I do have uh, some great content for this last episode. I'm so excited. You should be too. This is what you sound like when you're excited. Like you're trying to poo. Hey. You know, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna blame that little rhyme on Dr. Seuss. Because I just read to my kid. Alright, so uh, what do I have for you today? I do have a great show for you this week. Today I'm going to uh, talk in The Devil's Advocate about ranting... <laughs> Totally off. About ravings from Tartarus. And this is actually an essay uh, Anton LaVey wrote in The Devil's Notebook. Uh, really good stuff. In Infernal Informant, Exercise and the Ever Smarter Human Brain. <laughs> I added a G to that. What the fuck? And why 2012 was the year space exploration made a comeback. And in the creature feature, I'm going to give you my review of the series Homeland. My wife and I have been really tearing this series up and obsessively uh, enjoying it. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it. I'll try not to rant and rave too long. But there are some uh, you know, news tidbits that I want to talk about. First and foremost, I now for this podcast have, I, I got a, uh, for the holiday, I got a shock mount. So that should help absorb some of the weird thumping sounds that you may have noticed. And I have a... Um, like a noise screen, like a sort of like a, a screen in front of the, the the mic itself. So that should be taking care of a lot of the hard P's and T's and stuff like that, uh, really making just the sound of the podcast a little bit better. And you know what? Just like last year, this coming new year is going to have a completely brand new intro, intro music and everything. Uh, each segment is going to be brand new and I have recorded all of those with this new setup. I think you're going to enjoy it. I had a lot of fun making them and I I really think the production value has gone up. Um you shouldn't hear any clicks or, you know, movements such as that. All right. So, along with that sort of new technology that I've been picking up to try to, you know, just continually increase the production quality of the show, um we do have a new website look and feel. Okay, so the logo is the same. That that may go through some iterations uh, in the future, maybe next year. But I've changed the backgrounds and the general fonts and um, added some connections on the actual website. So if you go to 9centspodcast.com, you're going to notice that on the uh, episodes tab... You have the episodes seg- separated by year now, so it's a lot easier to find the year of the episode and all of the show notes for each of the episodes 
in that year. And also, I have added a little icon, little play icon, that indicates if you click on the title of the show, and all of my shows are titled by date. So if you click on the title of a show, for example, last week's was the 23rd, um, then it will actually open up a new window connecting you directly to that podcast. Now, there's a number of reasons why I've been not wanting to do this in the past. Um, I actually started doing this when I first started the podcast of connecting all the episodes, and then I really just went all soup Nazi on your asses and forced you to go through the RSS feed. I've been having a lot of, I say a lot, uh, two or three people complaining that the downloading this show has been cutting off. And so I'm trying to make it available in as wide a range as possible. And this is just another one of those. So if you're having trouble uh, accessing it from YouTube or Spotify or uh, Stitcher or Last.fm or Radio Free Satan, which is the first place you should be stopping, then this is just another way of you to try to access these episodes. Uh, but to be completely honest, they're all coming from the same server, and the server techs are telling me that they're having no problems, and the majority of you are not having problems downloading these these podcasts. So, um, you know what? There's only so much I can do. There's only so much control I have over the internet. So I'm exercising as best I can. So I've made every single episode from the very first one, which is horrible, but it's still available, and you can stream it right from the website, 9centspodcast.com. I've also segregated all of the guest shows for or or the guest lists for each year um, in the same way that I've done the episode show notes. So you can access any of the past uh, episode guests at their Facebook or their website or their blog or whatever contact information they provided me to learn more about them. So that's always going to be there and you will always have access to it. What I what I see from a lot of podcasters you know they try to they try to limit access to past episodes and then some of them try to bring it back as sort of a, a, a bonus or something like that, which is actually a really good way of keeping your audience uh, excited and coming back. What we have to realize in in shows like mine, particularly, I don't have constant listeners who tune in every week as much as I have people that tune in every once in a while, depending on the content of the show. Uh, I understand this and I accept this. this is not a big deal to me, but it also means that an RSS feed is not going to be as worthwhile to them as, say, a link directly to the mp3 or directly to the youtube channel um, which is why i started doing those videos as well so just another way of me trying to make it as massively available as possible and you know for those podcasts out there that are doing it in a uh, a way that you know um, prevents people from accessing the entire list of shows i understand it I'm not going to be doing that yet, and maybe when I'm done wrapping up this whole Nine Cents project of mine, then I will take it all down and release it as a one-time fee for the all entirety, you know, all, the entirety of the Life Show archives. But that's not going to happen yet, and I don't plan on stopping this anytime soon. So, uh, and I had to tell you, my end goal, and, and what I will not go over, is nine years. Okay, so we're. Next week, we're starting our third year, so we're a third of the way there. 
Nine years, I will, I can't guarantee that I'll get to nine years of doing nine cents, but I can guarantee that I will not go over nine years. Um, I absolutely have the content for it. <laughs> Believe it or not, I absolutely do. And I know that the, um, wide world of Satanists will always be there, uh, generating new projects for me to bring on the show and, and feature. And actually one of them just happened. So Hell Magazine, and that's H-E-L-L-E Magazine, just released their first episode. And if you missed it, it was really circulating around certain um, social networks. You should go check out www.facebook.com slash hell, H-E-L-L-E Magazine. And that is uh, three amazing witches got together and decided to create a magazine. I don't know how long it'll last, and I don't know even if there'll be a second one, but I can tell you that the first one is a lot of fun, and I was actually in it, which I was very, very happy to be a part of. Um, there's a an article about facial hair that I am featured in, one of uh, many amazing gentlemen, and I, I was trying to do this sort of goofy um, Gillette commercial type photograph and it ends up just coming off weird and creepy so if, if you haven't seen it go check it out and, and again you can access that from the Facebook page Hell Magazine as well but yeah I tried to do this uh, sort of I mean it's supposed to be funny it's supposed to be cheesy not everyone gets my humor and I, I, I gotta be honest not my humor doesn't always you know pay off as well as I would like it to it, but in this case it didn't pay off at all it's just me with a towel around my neck, naked, looking creepy as shit. So, <laughs> I felt really bad because all the other gentlemen, they're all distinguished and posing all nicely. And they, they have these great facial dramatic shots. And I'm sitting there with a fucking towel looking like a jackass. <laughs> and I guess, what what else <laughs> what else could I have done, right? I mean, other than just be me. But uh, I, I guess I could have done a, a more straightforward facial shot and not look so retarded. Uh you know, whatever. <laughs> you gotta have fun in life, right? Okay, so, and then I also wanted to kind of touch on um, frustrations over this holiday before I jump into the show. And I know I'm I'm sort of ranting here for a while, so bear with me. But, okay, so, if, if you didn't hear on social networking sites, I, uh, my car was broken into. Um, and a lot of my kids' presents were taken out of it. And... It's just sort of that whole process. See, no one's ever stolen from me, and so I guess I'm lucky in that aspect, if you can be lucky. Um, not right in front of my house. Like, I've had a storage unit broken into, but it's not as personal as from the trunk of your car, which is literally in the driveway right in front of your house. So it just it feels more personal and more, more of a violation in that, in that sense, for me anyway. And... Um, so we had to replace the gifts and that was a pain in the ass. But then, you know, obviously the next morning I noticed and I called the police and this, you know, Pillsbury Doe officer came out as a response. And he was like, well, this, yeah, I mean, it looks like a break in, you know, you're lucky nothing was broken. Um, so yeah, I was like, okay, but are you, are you going to like dust for prints? He's like, well, it's not really like the TV shows, you know, like you watch on TV. Where else are you going to watch TV shows, right? Um, so, you know, a lot of the times you actually don't get good prints. And it takes weeks or more to get a match. And I'm like, 
Right, but I still want my shit, and I want whoever did this caught, so I would like you to dust for prints. And I'm thinking in my head, because that's your fucking job, what the fuck am I... Why do I have to convince a police officer to do his job? And this speaks to a broader topic of just the idea that you're putting yourself out to do your job. And, and that seems, to me, it seems to be like the common consensus for people in the world. You go to any service industry and you ask them to do their job and they're, Ugh, yeah, I'll help you find this, I guess. Or if you ask a question, they're just so exhausted and put out. That's your job. And all I'm at, I'm not, I'm not asking you to make me a pie if you're a bookstore attendant, but don't act all put out if I asked you to do your goddamn job. And then, do your job the best you can. This seems to be like a forgotten art of just doing something well that you're paid to do. And I can't be the only one noticing this in life. So when I go to my uh, regular career and I'm designing an ad or a website uh, or a billboard or a package, whatever it is the client wants me to do, I don't act all put out that I have to do it. That's how I get my pay. So I do it to the best of my ability. And I am foolish enough to think that other people should be doing the same thing. And it's aggravating when it's a cop responding to a break-in and he doesn't want to do his goddamn job of just just and here's the other thing what else are you gonna do just like you told me it's not like tv with dusting for print and accuracy it's not like tv where you're chasing down cop i mean uh, uh, uh robbers and like jumping over fences and shooting you're not on a cop's tv show you're you, honestly you're you're mid salt lake so probably you're just harassing kids that aren't in school right now like, that's the extent of your job, or or on the occasion, you pull someone over for going five miles an hour over the speed limit. Oh gosh, I don't want to put you out for asking you to do your fucking job in stealing something that I hold dear. Like, I don't know, my kids' gifts for the holidays, you know, shock that I would expect you to do your job. And here's the worst part, is that the entire time that I'm trying to convince him to do his damn job, and, I don't know, maybe make an effort to apprehend the suspect whomever it is, um, that committed the crime, I'm a tax-paying, upstanding, law-abiding member of this society. I've done nothing wrong. I was a victim. You serve me. I literally, out of my taxes, pay your salary. So why should I have to convince you to do... That's like my boss coming to me and convincing me to make an ad for the client. You don't have to do that. You're supposed to want to do that because you chose that job. So do it. What the hell? So after uh, literally like seven to ten minutes of me arguing with this officer, Pillsbury Doe Cop, to do his job and take fingerprints, he claims that it's too cold outside for him to do it right now. So he has to go inside of his car, turn on the heat, and rub his hands together so that they're warm enough so that he can actually dust for prints. Meanwhile, I'm getting later and later for work and for dropping off my kids to daycare and for seeing them off to school and for completing my daily routine, enjoying my life. This guy is preventing me. 
And so what happens is he apparently is too stupid to know how to even dust for prints. Though, honestly, on the scale of cop jobs, that should be like top 10 things that you should know how to do. He calls backup in to have him help him uh, dust for prints. So after going through the car and him telling me why each of these surfaces will not have a fingerprint and why he shouldn't have to dust for prints on them, I end up convincing him of one place, the trunk, which has prints visible by his flashlight. And so he finally gets off his ass with the help of his buddy and dust for prints and I never see them again. Yeah. I don't expect them to find every, um, every uh, thief out there. But I expect them to try, because that's what they're paid to do. That's what I am paying them to do. Stop this self-righteous, asshole, entitled behavior, police officers, and just do what you're paid to do, and that's protect and serve me. I'm not the criminal, and you do your goddamn job. I'm just sick and tired of this. It's pervasive throughout society of people complaining about having to do the one thing that they get paid to do. Don't do it then. Go be a librarian if that's what you want to do. But whatever it is, find out what you want to do. Work in order to do it. And then don't complain when you're doing it. Being a productive member of society, um, it's, it's kind of important. Otherwise, get the fuck out of said society. Go live like a mountain man or something. See how far you get. Gah. All right, and then got in an accident. I said I got in an accident. Um, a dude slid into the front of my car. But again, it's one of those things where you like my kids are in the car, and you know the turn that I was sitting at. People always turn like super close to your car. I was in the turning lane, and they were turning, uh, you know, coming toward me. So I'm always expecting people to get really super close. There's about a one second difference between too close and about to hit your car. And so I was like in this moment of like that second happened. It started and the timer starts running in milliseconds. And I slow motion see his, the driver's face, um, bracing himself for impact and not even trying to turn anymore. I've got a car in front of me and behind me. There's nothing I can do but brace and accept that I'm going to get hit by this car. But then all of a sudden it runs my head. My kids are in the car in the seat next to me and behind me in a, a um, a booster seat and so I immediately start shouting out <laughs> directions as if they're gonna understand so I'm like brace yourself push yourself back in your seats we're about to get hit brace yourself and they're just looking at me like old oh, man what are you talking about I don't know what brace yourself means and my kids are just sort of looking around then we get hit and we slide a couple feet to the side um it doesn't eject the um uh the airbags so you know it wasn't that hard but it was enough to do eight hundred dollars worth of visible damage to my car and i call up my insurance after this whole thing uh, transpires and we call the police and they do a report and we get each other's information and stuff like that so i call my insurance and i'm like look this guy hit me like it, literally i was parked and he hit me so there's no possible way i'm at fault and they're like oh well, all you have to do is pay your deductible and we'll fix your car i'm like wait what why, why do I have to pay anything? Why do you jump to the, I pay the deductible part? Why don't you again, do your job and go after that money from the other guy's insurance? Because he hit me. I didn't hit him. Had I hit him, I would gladly pay the deductible and pay his deductible to fix everything. I mean, that's why we pay insurance. I understand. But 
I shouldn't have to pay shit. And it pisses me off that the people that I pay to hold money for me on the off chance that something like this happens immediately jump to me having to pay for it. Why don't you just say, hey, I'll cover your deductible because you've been an amazing driver for X amount of years that you've been with us. How about you jump to, oh, well, let's go after this guy for him to pay your deductible so that you don't have to pay for it. And then he'll pay for the uh, the rental car so that, you know, the time that it's going to take for us to fix this, which was estimated like almost five days on just surface damage to be fixed, that we have him or his insurance pay for it. That's what he's paying his insurance to do. But no, instead it's, oh, well, you're going to have to, you're going to have to argue with their insurance company to get that reimbursed. Or we're going to have to see if they'll accept liability. There's no accepting needed. You have a police report and you have both of our statements. Point blank, no one's trying to lie to anyone else. He admits to running into me. I say he ran into me because he ran into me. You pay for it and go after him for the said deductible. I'm sick and tired of having to convince people to do their goddamn jobs. And it's frustrating because my time is worth money to me. My time is valuable. If not in actual dollars and cents, then in time with those that I've chosen to love and be with, i.e. my family. I would rather be spending time with them than arguing with you over the phone over who's at fault and just look at the police report and all answers or all questions will be answered. I'm sick and tired of being guilty until proven innocent for every little fucking thing and then having to convince people to the jobs that you're paying them to do every single goddamn day. Whew. Alright. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels this way and I'm... <laughs> Holy shit, I've actually been ranting quite some time about it, so I'll stop. But just so you know, that's been my week. <laughs> I cannot wait for 2012 to be over enough. I, I mean, I say that, but it has actually been an amazing year. Um, my audience for Nine Cents has grown exponentially. Uh, I'm very, very pleased with the success of this show and the individual products that Nine Cents has been presenting, uh, like Black House Blues, which came out with uh, Hymn of the Satanic Empire. I don't know if you saw it. A lot of people didn't like it. Some people did like it. Whatever, whether you like it or not, I always appreciate honest feedback. Um, and you're welcome to give me feedback because that's going to help me improve in the future. Um, I'm one of those weird people that, you know, appreciates critiques. Uh, so, you know, blackhouseblues.com, check that out, and you can see that... Um, and then Satan Satanist on Satanic Cinema. Um, Magistrate Peggy Nadrami joined me for a Horror Hotel episode, and that's out. I still have the um, the Ninth Gate, and I still have uh, Blue Velvet available as well, so you should definitely check those out. So a lot of fun, a lot of great stuff happening in the Nine Cents world. Um, but also keep in mind, and I'm going to do a little bit of a read at the end of this, that Radio Free Satan, um, you know, they have to pay their bills every year, and so all of January is going to be me shelling for your uh, help to keep Radio Free Satan free and available. Uh, so expect that. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the last time that you're going to hear, at least with current episodes, this Devil's Advocate intro. Say why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? 
For Christ's sake, why? They don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me. The first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm an active member in the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Ravings from Tartarus. Now this is actually an essay in the Devil's Notebook by Anton Zemmove. I'm going to give you the, the, again, you know, like I've always done in every damn episode that I do these. Uh, I'm going to give you the first paragraph. And then I'll just sort of talk about the subject matter um, it, it addresses. Probably the most oft-asked question I receive from practitioners of satanic magic is, why doesn't my ritual seem to have any effect? My answer to this question is invariably because it matters so much to you. Once a ritual has been properly performed, it should not matter much whether or not you see results, for you have supposedly attained, through surrogate means, your original intent. Having gotten it out of your system should free you from further concern. This can be likened to an ambivalent feeling towards sex immediately following an exhausting and rewarding sexual experience. This exact um, reference was brought up in the first Greater Magic episode I had, uh, where Reverend Bill M., um actually spoke to this. And we, in the context we were speaking, it was for a uh, curse ritual and wanting to follow up on the results of this the curse ritual that you, you know, in theory would have performed. But it speaks to a broader topic about satanic magic and, and the point of satanic magic. You will often hear me in these episodes um, talking about how I think magic can create change in the world that would not normally come about on its own terms. And I do believe that. But you need to understand that the foundation of satanic magic, as Dr. LeVay has defined it, is about you going into the decompression chamber and unleashing your energy toward whatever end, and that being it. There is no follow-up involved. Like, you, the follow-up is all lesser magic. As far as greater magic is concerned, you have done what you went in there to do. And you shouldn't care if uh, someone, an office worker that you tried to destroy is still working at the office. That shouldn't matter. You unleashed the fury in that moment. And in that moment, you destroyed them. That should be enough. And if you are continually double-checking on uh, every little thing that may or may not have been your result of the ritual going wrong in their life, you didn't successfully perform the ritual in the first place. Because it's not about the result. It's about you unleashing your energy. Now, th there can be a number of ways that you look about this, and, and I'm going to give you mine. Whatever results happen from a greater magic ritual experience, the important part 
is that you got it out of your system and that you follow up if you need to with lesser magic and you live your life not worrying about those results we have to remember satanism is practical application of uh, philosophy and theory in real life like we don't we don't stress and worry and consume ourselves with what magic can or can't be or means or doesn't means or how it works or why it works or if it works or when it should work or when it shouldn't none of that matters as a practicing satanic magician what matters is that you can focus your will when you must and you move on with your life if you are going to be consumed with every little thing that happens in your life and just dwell on it then you're not actually living your life and that is the point of satanism living your life effecting the world around you and you're not doing that if you're focusing on results you have to make results magic is not there to do it for you and that's why the view of satanic magic is so vastly different than any of those ridiculous occult magical systems or um uh new age bullshit in that you can look at it like it's not even magic at all it's just you focusing your mind in one scene i'll call it one moment extinguishing whatever you need to get out of your body that's holding you back from progressing as you want to progress in life or attaining what you want to attain obtain and then as soon as those final bells are rung and as soon as you say those beautiful words so it is done it must be done and you must be able to move on and this essay is actually speaking directly to that throughout the whole thing uh, it, it's definitely worth a read and really the devil's notebook is kind of a must-have in my opinion for any satanist i i mean you all you've always heard me say and and many many other satanists say satanism is uh study um it demands study uh not worship and there's a reason for that it's that these concepts that are put out there um, are easily diluted unless you really delve into their meaning um, if you have not wrapped yourself and wrapped your mind around um, a lot of different perspectives within satanism then the chance of you fully grasping the message is slim to none um, that's why whenever you run across uh, another satanist who has released an essay or another satanist who has released a compilation of essays it's nice to go get that and to read it and to consume it and you may not agree with everything you may not and there's nothing wrong with that but it will always give you a clearer more concise understanding i mean you know our, our sort of watchwords are question all things that even means ourselves and that means our understanding of satanism question it don't just blindly jump into it and that follows suit with greater magic and that in my opinion is exactly what Anton LaVey was speaking to in this essay check it out you won't regret it the devil's notebook pick it up it's like seven bucks like seriously seven bucks come on um do without your breakfast burrito tomorrow morning or something <laughs> whatever your, your next Starbucks coffee 
if you don't have it already. All right, so that's going to be it. And now let's go ahead and jump into the uh, Infernal Informant. Last time you're going to hear that intro as well. Listen up, listen up, hey out there, good news, it's no devil, bad news, else no heaven, there's nothing to see, I'm your fellow informant. Alright, this is the New York Times Exercise and the Ever Smarter Human Brain by Gretchen Reynolds, this is posted the 26th of December. Anyone whose resolve to exercise in 2013 is a bit shaky may want to consider an emerging scientific view of human evolution. It suggests that we are clever today in part because a million years ago we could outrun and outwalk most other mammals over long distances. Our brains were shaped and sharpened by movement, the idea goes, and we continue to require regular physical activity in order for our brains to function optimally. The role of physical endurance as shaping humankind has intrigued anthropologists and gripped the popular imagination for some time. In 04, the evolutionary biologist Daniel E. Lieberman of Harvard and Dennis M. Bramble of the University of Utah published a seminal article in the journal Nature entitled Endurance Running and the Evolution of Homo, in which they posited that our bipedal uh, ancestors survived by becoming endurance athletes, able to bring down swifter prey through sheer doggedness, jogging and plodding along behind them until the animals dropped. Endurance produced meals which provided energy for mating, which meant the adept early joggers passed along their genes. In this way, natural selection drove early humans to become even more athletic, Dr. Lieberman and other scientists have written their bodies developing longer legs, shorter toes, less hair, and complicated inner ear mechanisms to maintain, maintain balance and stability during upright ambulance, ambulation. I'm sorry. Uh, movement shaped the human body. But simultaneously, in a development that until recently many scientists viewed as unrelated, humans were becoming smarter. Their brains were increasing rapidly in size. Today, humans have a brain that is about three times larger than would be expected, anthropologists say, given our species' body size in comparison with those of other mammals. To explain those outsized brains, evolutionary scientists have pointed to such occurrences as meat-eating and perhaps most determinatively our early ancestors' need for social interaction. Early humans had to plan and execute hunting as groups, which required complicated thinking patterns and, it's been thought, rewarded the social and brain with evolutionary success. According to that hypothesis, the evolution of the brain was driven by the need to think. But now, some scientists are suggesting that physical activity also played a critical role in making our brains larger. To reach that conclusion, anthropologists began looking at existing data about brain size and endurance capacity in a variety of mammals, including dogs, guinea pigs, foxes, mice, wolves, rats, civet cats, antelopes, mongooses, goats, sheep, and elans. They found a notable pattern. Species like dogs and rats have a high innate endurance capacity, which presumably have evolved over millennia. also large brain volumes relative to their body size. The researchers also looked at recent experiments in, in which um, mice and rats were systematically bred to be marathon runners, lab animals that are willingly put into most miles, I'm sorry, put in the most miles running wheels were interbred, resulting in the creation of a line of lab animals that excelled at running. 
Interestingly, after multiple generations, these animals began to develop innately high levels of substances that promoted tissue growth and health, including a protein called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF. These substances are important for endurance performance. They're also known to drive brain growth. What all of this means, said David A. Reichlin, an anthropologist at the University of Arizona and the author of a new article about the evolution of human brains, appeared in the January issue of Proceedings of the Royal Society of Biology, is that physical activity may have helped to make early humans smarter. We think that what, we, what happened in our early hunter-gatherer ancestors, he says, is that more athletic and active survived, as with the lab mice, passed along physiological characteristics that improved their endurance, including elevated levels of BDNF. Eventually, these early athletes had enough BDNF coursing through their bodies that some could migrate from the muscles to the brain, where it nudged the growth of brain tissue. Those particular early humans then applied their growing ability to think and reason toward better tracking prey, becoming the best fed and most successful from an evolutionary standpoint. Being in motion made them smarter, and being smarter now allowed them to move more efficiently. And out of all of this came eventually an ability to understand higher math and invent iPads. <laughs> Though that was some time later. The broad point of this new notion is that if physical activity helped to mold the structure of our brains, then it most likely remains essential to brain health today, says John D. Polk, an associate professor of anthropology at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and co-author with Dr. Reichlin of the new article. And there is scientific support for this idea. Recent studies have shown, he says, that regular exercise, even walking, leads to more robust mental abilities, beginning in childhood and continuing into old age. Of course, the hypothesis that jogging after prey helped to drive human brain evolution is just a hypothesis, Dr. Reichlin says, and almost unprovable. But it is compelling, says Harvard's Dr. Lieberman, who has worked with the authors of the new article. I fundamentally agree that there is a deeper evolutionary basis for the relationship between a healthy body and a healthy mind, he says, a relationship that makes the term jogging your memory more literal than most of us might have expected and provides a powerful incentive to be active in 2013. Um, I think this article was written just to sort of reinforce any potential end-of-the-year um, New Year resolutions, and um, because our culture as a world society is getting lazier and uh, fatter, typically. Um, so I think you know that's why they put out an article like this. But I, <laughs> I can't help but find uh, some truth in it just from personal experience. So when I was in the military, I was constantly moving around. I had to be sharp. Um, my, my wit and my mind had to be active at all times. And so I felt like I was on the top of my game. Um, right after that, I immediately jumped into college and I had to work at the same time. And anyone who has uh, worked a full-time job and attended college full-time can tell you that you don't sleep very much, but you are still capable of critical thinking, 
analysis, and completing tasks at set times. Uh, and maybe even more. I mean, I felt like I was just really super focused at that time in my life. And then I got out of college and I got to my first job and I didn't really exercise as much at all like I did when I was in the military and I was just doing the nine to five and my wits dulled, my body dulled. Everything about me was just sort of humdum and it, there was no focus. I didn't, you know, I was, I was just sort of doing a job to make money. I wasn't passionate about that particular job and I, I wasn't really feeling good about myself either. One thing I'd noticed that when I was in the military, I felt good. Like the endorphins were rushing my brain when I was exercising. And I felt good about myself after I finished. Not because of some um, uh, physical appearance that I was perceiving, just because I just felt good about myself. Like I was doing something that was good for me. Uh, not for some weird Eastern whatever reason, just because it's what I felt like I should do. And when I started exercising again, I grew a greater focus. I realized that the job I was in was not doing what I wanted to do, challenging me mentally, and that I had to move on. And I did. And I went to where I am now, and I have been for quite some time, um, in advertising. And it's great because it it's a constant, continual challenge of, of different requirements, different uh, clients, and continual growth as an individual, and the continual exercising. Now, I've gone through ebbs and flows with my two children and um, just life in general, trying to support their activities and, and everything else that I do with exercising intervals. and. The times that I am not exercising, the times that I'm not working out, I actually find myself more prone to depression and I find myself not wanting to do anything else, just falling into that lazy mindset. So for me, in order to stimulate my mind, in, in order to focus and encourage creativity, I had to get off my ass and work out. And so it enables me to continue doing this podcast like I have for two years every single week without fail new content new guests new shows exercise go to my regular work spend time with my children and my wife and and have as I see a healthy productive life exercise and staying productive does that for me so this article, I sort of saw that echoed in the message, and I wanted to bring it to you. One thing we have to realize, and I think it's just natural to do, is that when, when you fall in line with life, and you don't try to do anything new, or experience anything new, or just celebrate life itself through action, you become dulled as a human being and you get caught up in that dulled sense of existence and you forget or you're just convincing yourself that it's okay and I'm here to tell you that it is not okay because you're not living your life you're simply existing and if you don't know the difference you shouldn't be listening to this podcast and you absolutely aren't a Satanist the difference is explosive Living your life means awareness. It means stretching the boundaries 
experiencing things, going out of your way to learn something new, to experience something new, to do something with your life. And if you have a family, to encourage that in them and help them grow. Because obviously, hopefully, if it's your family, you actually love them. Um, or whomever you choose to love, encouraging that within themselves as well. You always want to grow as a human being because the moment you don't, you stop being a human being and you just become an animal. And there's nothing wrong with just being an animal. Hell, we're all animals. But we live in a society. We have grown as an animal. And we have become, yes, <laughs> more destructive in some cases, but we can also be greater. Look at classical music. Look at art. Look at production, the Industrial Revolution, uh, the expansionism of the United States and the inventions that we have created and that have enriched our lives. What we have to be careful of, however, is that those inventions don't become our lives, consumerism, that is. So um, that's what I found in this article, and I hope you enjoyed it. The next one here is sort of a wrap-up of the year as far as science is concerned, and this is actually from VentureBeat.com. Why 2012 was the year space exploration made a comeback. And so it's going to sort of go into the top 10 list type things. And this is posted on the 25th by Julie O'Dell. In 2011, we mourned the end of the U.S. Space Shuttle program, but in 2012, NASA came back with a vengeance and a spade of fascinating new programs. Between NASA's extraordinary work this year and its deep embrace of the internet culture and social media, we Earthlings fell in love with space exploration all over again. And we all got to share an enthusiasm and wonder at previous generation experience with the first moon landing. Here are our favorite moments from Space 2012. 10 the black marble. A few gorgeous photos from the dark side of Earth gave our home planet a new nickname, the black marble. In these images, we got to see what our world looks like during its nighttime hours. Cities sparkled into nodes, large and small, and geopolitical boundaries dissolved into deep navy and candle flame yellow. One of the best parts was an interactive map NASA made to show it all off. Called Worldview, this app is basically a souped-up Google Maps overlaid with layers to show NASA's homebrewed data. From night lights to clouds, dust, volcanoes, cyclones, and floods, the data visualization can even show the presence of certain molecules like carbon monoxide and sulfur dioxide. Cooler still, you can see a shift the timeline. I'm sorry. You can shift the timeline to see lights and flooding in the eastern seaboard during Hurricane Sandy, for example. 9. NASA's Warp Drives and Dyson Spheres We know science fiction is a huge inspiration to scientists and technologists, but NASA's research this year took that premise to a whole new level, with findings on Dyson Spheres and even Warp Drives. Yes, as in Star Trek Warp Drives. Advanced Propulsion Theme Lead for NASA Engineering Directorate Harold White says creating technology to accomplish warp propulsion a warp drive, is absolutely possible. And he's even started to create one, according to an essay he recently published in the Icarus Interstellar blog. Perhaps the Star Trek experience within our lifetime is not such a remote possibility, White writes. 8. The ISS Launching Satellites Launching spacecraft from Earth is costly in ways most of us can't imagine, but this year NASA found a great workaround. 
launching satellites from the Inter International Space Station instead. That way, the little buggers got right into orbit without having to push their way through the planet's atmosphere on individual propulsion and guidance systems. The recent launch from the ISS involved five CubeSats, a type of satellite developed in 99 by Cal Poly scientists. Each one is just four cubic inches and weighs less than three pounds. CubeSats generate their own power via solar panels and can transmit signals. For example, the newly launched CubeSats will be taking pictures of Earth, sending Morse code messages via super bright LEDs, logging maritime traffic, and monitoring forest fires. 7. The Interplanetary Internet Communication between spacecraft and planets has both theoretically and problematically <clears throat> I'm sorry has been both theoretical and problematic since the beginning of the space program. So when NASA and European Space Agency had test drove an interplanetary internet connection by having an astronaut on the International Space Station control a small robot on Earth, it was a rather big deal. The demonstration showed the feasibility of using new communications infrastructure to send commands to a surface robot from an orbiting spacecraft and receiving images and data back from that robot, says Badri Jonas, uh, NASA Deputy Associate Administrator for Space Communications and Navigation. The experiment DTN we've tested from the space station may be one day used by humans on a spacecraft to orbit around Mars to operate robots on the surface, or from Earth using orbital satellites and relay stations. Sorry, taking a sip of my Pilsner. Mm, so good. Alright. Six. Endeavor comes home. And so much of NASA's plans for the future were ramping up. One long-running program was coming to its conclusion. 25 missions to outer space, 4,671 orbits around planet Earth, a few thousand miles crisscrossing the U.S. on a farewell tour. <clears throat> Excuse me. 5. Deep Space. Entering Deep Space. Another long-running mission, however, was just beginning to fulfill its purpose, to explore as much as we can of the farthest limits of our current technology will allow. Voyager, which first launched as a two-craft mission more than 35 years ago, showed signs this year that it was beginning to enter a mysterious new realm called interstellar space. Although Voyager 1 still is inside the sun's environment, we now can taste what it's like on the outside, because the particles are zipping in and out on this magnetic highway, says Voyager's uh, Voyager's project scientist Edward Stone. We believe that this is the last leg of our journey to interstellar space. Our best guess is it's likely just a few months to a couple of years away. The new region isn't what we expected, but we've come to expect the unexpected from Voyager. And four, we're going to Mars. We've dreamt for decades of traveling beyond our planet's orbit, beyond our own moon, and onward to faraway planets and even other solar systems. NASA's announced in the summer its plans to make the dream a little more real by putting humans on Mars, starting in 2021. The Orion isn't a full-fledged spaceship. It's a capsule similar to Apollo 11 craft used to take Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin to the moon back in 69. Of course, we've come a long way since then, so the Orion will have better navigation and life support. It's going to start looking more like the shape of the capsule soon, but to me, it looks like the future, NASA Deputy Administrator Lori Garber said. 3. The Space Dive Call it a publicity stunt, call it incredibly reckless, call it whatever you like, but you know exactly what we're talking about. 
which is proof in itself the incredibly reckless publicity stunt would worked pretty damn well. A man fell from space to Earth today, breaking world record and potentially the speed of sound. His name is Felix Baumgarten, and he, supported financially by sponsor Red Bull, started his journey in climate-controlled capsule attached to a balloon nearly in space. Baumgarten jumped from 120,000 feet outside the stratosphere and broke the world record for such jumps. 2. SpaceX and Commercial Space Flight This year was a big one for visionary Elon Musk. Not only did his electric car company Tesla announce its plans for mass production, his space company, SpaceX, also completed its first commercial space flight deliveries to the International Space Station. With the main mission, SpaceX earned a commercial resupply services contract from NASA to take 12 flights to and from the ISS carrying critical supplies. Altogether, these 12 missions will bring more than 1,000 pounds of supplies to the ISS. The first delivery includes a freezer for the, sci- um, for the station's scientific samples, a powered mid-deck locker with an experiment inside, along with a variety of materials for the astronauts living and working in the space station, said NASA reps. And number one, ending the whole article, without question. The space story that captured the global imagination like no other this year. That's right, it was the Mars landing of the Curiosity rover. We who watched were given an inside view of the goings-on at NASA that night, from the internet-favored Bobak Ferdowski uh, to the first grainy images the rover's cameras began to beam back to Earth that same night. Even though they're just black and white snaps showing little more than rover's wheels and a low-angle view of Mars desert at sunset, they're thrilling to those of us who get unreasonably excited about space travel and interplanetary exploration. So that's it. Top 10 of space. Why 2012 was the year that brought back space exploration. And I was actually pretty disappointed, and I know a lot of you were too, um, when we heard that there were not going to be any more manned um, uh, space missions. Uh, space in and of itself, the concept, has enriched imagination and given human beings purpose, drive. Um, it has enriched science and uh, our own uh identity of who and what we are as human beings. I cannot stress the importance I put on space exploration and understanding. Not only does NASA and really anyone who is, you know, the commercial companies that are dealing with spaceflight contributing to a greater um, human understanding um, through science, but through adventure. Like, this is part of what makes human beings human beings. Not knowing what's on the other side of that hill and finding out. Damned the consequences, damned the price we have to pay to do it. But to find out. This is how we killed God. This is how medical science has 
enriched our lives, extended our lives. We don't understand things. We discover, we question, we examine, we learn, and we create fixes for problems. And space is just sort of that next step. And I know we still have a whole lot of exploring to do on our own earth, within our own minds, within our own bodies, but just getting out there into the great cosmos. I mean, it, it, it really excites me. Um, and just sort of as a side note, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is producing with uh, Seth MacFarlane, actually, for a Fox revival of um, uh, Carl Sagan, Sagan's uh, show, uh, The Cosmos, as well. So I think that's still maybe a year, maybe two years away. But, you know, it's one of those things that's it's coming. And so there's going to be this resurgence. I'm calling it right now. There's going to be this huge resurgence of interest in space and science and math and technology. And I cannot be behind it anymore. I just think it's fantastic. And I'm hoping that you guys are excited about this stuff as well, because this is really what's going to be this next couple of years, um, real true stories. I mean, politics are always going to be ever present so I'll always be covering that but whenever I get an opportunity to sort of give you a story like this um, I sort of get really geeky and excited because I love it I'm a huge Star Wars retard <laughs> I'm a nut job for Star Wars and so I get excited with anything space related um, because you know that's sort of what you know this the Star Wars fantasy movies did for me is give me an interest in science and space and you know what could possibly be out there not necessarily you know that fantasy of Star Wars but um, even microbial life or, or insectoid life or just anything. The absence of life, I think, would be a fascinating find. So, you know, really placing us uh, in the universe, as it were. So anyway, that's going to do it for the Infernal Informant. I've, I've ranted for a long time, and actually at the very end, so I do really want to give you this uh, little review of Homeland. It's probably not going to be very long, but I'm going to I'm going to talk about it and sort of give you my experiences uh, with military, maybe, um, depending on, uh, you know, how we get into it. So, again, last time you're going to hear it, Infernal Informant 2012, 47 on Satanus, is next. Oh, God! No. Just me. Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Alright, so I started watching Homeland very recently, actually. And it was only because all of our other shows that we watch have taken their hiatuses uh, for the season. And we decided, well, you know, we've heard about this show and how wonderful it is. We saw it's nominated for a bunch of awards. And we thought, you know what, might as well jump in and, and see what happened. The problem is we don't do this to many shows, okay? We don't just say hey let's see what this is about without really knowing anything about it um and there's a reason for that because we get <laughs> we get drawn into shows like we will just go crazy and just sort of serial watch episode after episode um and forsake sleep <laughs> for the sake of a good story we love it uh and that's kind of what homeland did for us 
it drew us in and i <laughs> there there are parts to a very small degree i have to stress a very small degree that i understood the motivations of um one of the main characters so let me give you a bit of a synopsis this is actually on showtime it's coming back for its third season in 2012 it has been re-upped for a third season so i'm very excited to see what happens there and uh let me say outright if you know nothing about this show i'm going to be giving spoilers so i suggest that you do not listen to this if you do not know already about this series you, I will spoil this for you. I cannot say this enough. This show is great because you don't know the answers and that you discover piece by piece what happens. I'm going to ruin that right now if you do not know already. So, spoiler alert. I cannot be stressful enough here. If you haven't seen Homeland, do not listen to the rest of this series, this, this episode. Um, you will not miss anything. It's just about this show. After you've caught up with the series, come back and you can listen to my review. With that being said, let me ruin it for you because I doubt you turned it off. <laughs> you're probably in a commute where you just don't care and you're going to find out. Alright, so about the series. Again, like I said, Showtime, Sunday nights. Uh, hero or traitor? Missing in action in Afghanistan for eight years and subjected to unthinkable torture at the hands of Al-Qaeda, Marine Sergeant Nicholas Brody... Damien Lewis is finally coming home. CIA officer Carrie Matheson, Emmy winner Claire Danes, believes he has been turned and becomes and um, has become part of a plot to be carried out on American soil. But the volatile Carrie has some demons of her own. Nothing is as it seems in Homeland, an edge of your seat thriller that also stars Emmy winner Mandy Panikin. I can't even say that word right. Okay, so this is actually a really fantastic show. Okay, so like I just said, the premise is that Brody is a... He was a POW for eight years. No one really knew about it. His family thought he was dead and moved on with their life for eight years. And then he was rescued by um, a, a, a Black Ops intelligence assault. Now, what you don't know from that synopsis is that Carrie, um, Claire Dane's character, is actually in the Middle East and has an Al-Qaeda informant telling her that there is an American that has turned sides to Al-Qaeda, he was a POW, and that he's working for Al-Qaeda. So, that's where Carrie's character, the CIA intelligence analyst, comes into play. And then, the only POW that's ever shown to have existed, Brody, uh, Damien Luce's character, is suddenly rescued. And so she immediately thinks of him. So the entire synopsis of the series is her trying to find out if he is the actual terrorist, you as an audience member trying to figure out if he's the actual terrorist, and you finding out the motivations behind his potential turn or his seemingly turn. Um, the way they reveal information about Brody's history throughout the episodes is brilliant because obviously it keeps you on the edge of your seat, you're constantly questioning. About midway through the first season, you know for a fact that yes, at one point, 
And spoiler alert, spoiler alert, don't listen anymore if you haven't seen this series yet. Um, you know that, yes, he was turned and convinced to be a terrorist, but not the way that you would expect. And this is where I can totally see it. See, when when 9-11 happened, I was stationed in Germany, and, uh, you know, obviously being a Satanist, I consider myself a free thinker. I don't just drink the punch. I question. And when we invaded Iraq, I didn't understand it. When we passed the Patriot Act... I vehemently didn't understand it, and I started screaming to my commanding officers, this is not constitutional, this is against the law, and we are defending um, the right for our government to invade the privacy of its citizens for a manufactured threat. And I was freaking out, no one listened to me, everyone thought I was just some retard just screaming at the sky, and in essence, that's what it was, because no one listens and no one cares about their individual freedoms. Um, and And the fact that we literally gave away our rights and protections as a society for the fear of a terrorist act happening a second time. And what we fail to realize is that the rest of the world deals with this shit on a regular basis, and we're sort of caught in this little bubble. We think we're too special to be affected by other people's uh, craziness. We're in America. We're more popular than everyone else, and we're more powerful than everyone else, and we're more special because that's what our culture tells us. But it's all a lie. We are not more popular. We're hated. We are not more special. We're just incubated. We're, we're kept in this little bubble. We need to break out of this bubble. Stop kicking ourselves in the balls. Stop wrapping restraints around our own wrists and for what fear that is no way to exist we ha here's what should happen in the case of tragedy you learn the lesson if there's one to learn and you start appreciating life for what it is here's what you don't do act like america and restrict life for fear of it happening again it's ridiculous Try getting on a plane and tell me I'm overreacting. It makes no sense at all. Instead of cherishing the one thing that we have, life, we restrict it because of fear. Okay, so anyway, back to the show. Um, so I can understand how a, a, a military member who experiences an atrocity um, like, like Brody's character did in this movie. And you actually don't really find out until near the end of the first season, um, why, you know, the motivations that really made him turn, um, against the administration, not against America. And I think this is an important point to make. America is an idea. America is an idea in action. That doesn't mean you have to like the leadership of America. Um, uh, politics. You don't have to like your president. You don't have to like your vice president. You don't have to like your congressmen or your senators or your, your individual community representatives. That's why we have elections. That's where you exercise your like or dislike. That's what's important about our system. Um, uh, but to appreciate what America is despite that, well, that is important and it's cherished if you are an American, certainly if you're an American that served, and certainly if you're a patriot at any level. You realize that there is something 
worthwhile in uh, individual accomplishment that America uh, symbolizes and encourages, or at least at one point it did, and the idea that we are all on the same level with a clean slate and our actions and responsibilities are what grant us authority. And, you know, those ideas are important to us as Americans. So I can understand why you would absolutely detest an administration and want to destroy them. Now, the level that I sort of differ from this series is that I believe in a ritual expression of that, um, a law-abiding <laughs> expression of that, and Brody didn't. He actually was conspiring to murder um, and actually in season two, again, I'm, you know, these are huge spoilers, so I hope if you haven't seen the series yet, you're not listening. Um, he does actually aid in the murder of, um, uh, the vice president of the United States. Um, so this whole show is, and I'm speaking to people who have already seen it, presumably, or else you wouldn't be listening to the spoiler, uh, version, is an expression of, of, of human experience in the face of difficulty and 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 pain and tragedy and, and realizing that just because um, it's a leader of a country that you adore doesn't mean you have to fall in line with them and it makes you understand that they still have to pay for what they've done. And there's huge moral implications. There's huge individual understandings that this movie forces you to go through. And that's what I love about it, because it doesn't just present one side, the CIA side of, oh, this is a bad terrorist, and, and this is a horrible plot. It brings in individual motivations, um, concerns, how it affects his family, how it affects his relationship with his wife, and later his lover, um, as he splits off with the CIA agent, um, with his daughter, these decisions that he's making. But he still can't give way to everything because he still feels so deeply about the wrongness of the administration's actions. And he has to, there has to be a response to it. That's what makes this show amazing. It, it makes you question the way that you look at your country, if you're an American, or at American politics, if you're not. You, you're forced to look at the motivations of other countries and, and realize that there's a reason. And I, I've actually gone uh, at length with this type of a discussion in my 4th of July episode for the past two years. So if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to those. Um, because I am a patriot, but I'm a patriot with my eyes open. I love my country, but I'm not ignorant as to the atrocities it's committed. Um, I celebrate the fact that we're the great Satan because I believe in taking charge of one's destiny. Um, and that's a manufactured term, not a, <laughs> you know, uh, book of life term here. Uh, but it, it forces you to look at it, at America through, uh, Islamists eyes, through Middle Eastern national, um, uh, local national eyes. It forces you to question um, how you perceive America and the actions that America takes and what that means on a, on a national and global scale. Um, at least that's what it did for me and that's why I really loved it. Maybe I'm looking too far into it and maybe it's just a nice thriller for the casual viewer. But for me, it was truly a, 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 not only personification of how I have felt over the past um, years since my uh, military 
contract ended and really the last two years of my military contract, but also the complex relationship I have with my country and with my country leaders and why I think it's so important to exercise your voter rights as a citizen and, and also what it means to be a citizen. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of complex uh, questions that arise by watching this and I hope that if you've seen it and you enjoy this show like I do, that it evoked those questions in you as well. And maybe if it hadn't, then maybe this discussion will. So, um, if you've been sitting through this and you've just get, been given a handful of spoilers about the series, you can still enjoy it for what it is, and you can still uh, really enjoy the performances. Though I have to be honest, I'm, I've never really been a Claire Danes fan, and still I'm not. I, I can't decide if she's attractive or not. Like every mo you'll see like a scene with a frame where you're like, oh wow, she's a pretty girl, and then she's just a monster. She's like this ugliest creature on the planet looking girl. I can't really wrap my head around it. Plus, it's got the prostitute from Firefly in here, if you're a science fiction retard like me and you like um Firefly the series that was only one for one series, unfortunately. Um yeah, she's in it, and she was also in the remake of V. Although I did hear a Jay and Silent Bob podcast episode when where where Jay actually met her and she was a total douchebag to him, so you know take it for what it's worth. But you know, as she's a beautiful woman, and you actually do get to see uh, you know her bare breasts, which they're quite amazing. <laughs> I'm a boob guy though. I, I'm actually also an ass and thigh guy, so and a waist guy and a hip guy. Fuck, I'm a woman guy. What can I say? <laughs> I love it all. Um, and, and you get to enjoy it with her. So, you know, that's another reason to, to see it. <laughs> uh, anyway, great thriller, great series. It's amazing, and I cannot wait for it to come back in 2013. And that's going to do it for the Infernal Informant. And nay, that's actually going to do it for another year. Another year of Nine Cents has come and gone. I hope you enjoyed it. And I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. The holidays are over, but you can still help support the show in a number of exciting ways. First of all, RadioFreeSatan.com has a lot of bills to pay, and since you enjoy the content they offer for free, how about you drop a five spot on them for the amazing entertainment they offer? You can also help Keep supporting the Nine Cents podcast by checking out Asp Apparel's official Nine Cents clothing and accessories found at AspApparel.com or my children's book, How Crow Got a Scareback, found at crow.adampcampbell.com. Even my new project, Nine Cents Presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema, found at satanistsonsatanicsinema.com. Spread the word about Nine Cents and help support the show. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for Nine Cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at NineCentsPodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to Nine Cents via iTunes by searching Nine Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, the source for online satanic media. Playing us out will be the Caledonian Heritage Pipes and Drums playing Old Lang Syne from their album Scotland's Great Highland Bagpipes. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and I wish you a happy, productive, satanic, and powerful new year. Hail! Satan.